folks, you're listening to WOMR and welcome to Seaside Storytime, a podcast where we dive deep into the stories of people living on the Cape, the magic that keeps us here and the dynamic nature of the tides and towns. I am your host, Eden Allegretti. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm talking with the wonderful Michelle Axelson, P-Town resident, owner of Women Crafts and so much more. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Eden. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. So for the folks listening in, would you mind just doing like a quick introduction of who you are, if you feel comfortable sharing your pronouns and kind of what you do in town? Sure. My name is Michelle Axelson. She, her, hers. I am the owner, the current owner, the third owner of Women Crafts, a feminist, queer, intersectional bookstore and gift store in Provincetown on Commercial Street. The shop's been there for 47 years. I bought the business in 2015, and I bought the building that the business is in last year. Yay. That was a big deal. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So... I would love to hear a little bit more about how you ended up in town and what that looks like for you. I know that story can be like, woo, we all have wild things that brought us out here. Um, But what was your journey like? Yeah, I think probably similar to a lot of people talk about coming to Provincetown for a weekend and ending up living here for the rest of your life. Um, Right, right. (laughs) Mine was a winter. I came, um, I moved November 17th, 2010. So I'm coming up on my 13-year anniversary, and I had found a winter rental. I... The bullet points were lowest point in my life, end of a relationship, end of a job, moving, mm-hmm. uncertain of what was coming next. In Boston, I was a social worker. Um, I needed a break from that. I worked with gay men addicted to crystal meth, yeah. and I had experienced a lot of death on my caseload and among these men that I loved and cared about so much alongside some personal tragedies and I needed space and time and Provincetown from Boston was a place I had spent a lot of time fun time as a gay person in the Boston scene Um, but in my healing journey, I was doing 12-step stuff, and I had come to an Al-Anon meeting in Provincetown and really, really loved the community here. And even though I didn't know anybody, I knew that I felt safe here. Mm. Um, and I felt like in 12-step programs, there's things sit with the winners or look to who has what you want. And the uh, recovery that existed in Provincetown was really enviable to me. And I was at like I said, a very low point in my life and being so surrounded by the water. People talk about being hugged by the water yeah. all the way around here. Um, was really calming and right-sizing for me. Um, and so I moved and... Um, I have funny stories about finding the place that I was going to live, but in 2010, the reason that I even knew it was possible is that I had gone to Stop and Shop one time when I was visiting, because I didn't have a lot of money, and I couldn't afford to eat out, but I got a snack at Stop and Shop, and they had a bulletin board that had rentals for $400. Thank God for that bulletin board, right? Oh my gosh. So seeing $400 as a person from Boston, I thought, oh my God, I had no idea that it was even possible to live in Provincetown. And what I found out quickly, those original $400 places were really creepy and scary and what I didn't know then as somebody who had never existed in a seasonal community or that was driven by service industry 
I saw a lot of worker housing, mm-hmm. and I just walked in like something bad happens here. I went to a place no. that had like ten beds, and I made no sense to me except how creepy that was. So I didn't think I was going to find anything. I'm abbreviating this story, but the story is important to why I came yes, and how yes. I stayed. Is that um, this one day I had given myself to find a place? I saw three really crazy places. I went to a meeting, and then I went to Herring Cove to watch sunset. Mm. And I'm a Massachusetts native, and I'm, I would say, not dumb. And <laughs> I had no idea of the wildlife that's in on the Cape. Right. And so I'm sitting at the beach, and I, again, like, not doing well in the world. And I was kind of, and I'm not religious at all, a spiritual center, but I was just kind of asking for some sort of sign, some sort of help me. Like, I had made the decision that Provincetown would be the thing for me, and then I saw all these kind of crappy apartments and didn't want to put myself in a vulnerable position, so I had started to think throughout the course of the day that it wasn't going to work. So I'm sitting at the beach and looking around and kind of begging the universe to give me some sort of message that it would be okay for me to move here. And all of a sudden, this row of seals goes by, and again, I get no idea. I did not think that that was a New England thing, so I thought I asked for a sign, and here came a unicorn. Love that. So (laughs) I'm running down the beach like screaming this group of kids wearing Harvard sweatshirts were sitting there I'm like oh my god there's seals oh my god oh my god and I turned and looked at one of them and I said I'm moving to Provincetown they have seals yes Um, so I saw that and when I left that moment I went and looked at the apartment that then became mine and signed a lease like as I was walking through the threshold and to date it's the nicest place I ever lived oh my gosh so like I just had a day right that like set up living here and so I came that November and people had said to me and I was very depressed and not doing great Mm -hmm. and people had said that's a really scary place to go alone in the quiet when you're depressed and somehow I knew that's not what it was going to be for me and as a pretty shy person I had made all these plans for myself to, like, make sure I didn't go down under in the darkness or depression of that. And before I moved, I had reached out to helping our women and the aid support group in the soup kitchen to see about volunteer opportunities because I knew I wasn't going to work yet. And I had found a therapist on the Cape, not in Provincetown, which that's important to me. As a therapist, it was important to me to have really good boundaries and not have the small town scenarios pop up. But I had done some things to, like, protect, you know, my time. But I also committed to myself that the first day that I had nothing social to do, I would get a library card. Mm. And I moved in November, and I didn't get a library card till April. That's amazing. A win. Yeah, it was totally a pink cloud moving experience. And... By the time the summer rolled around, I knew I couldn't leave. Yeah, and I think you're speaking to something that a lot of people that move here have experienced just from my conversations with them. It's like, there is this magic to town that if it doesn't want you, good luck. Right. But if it wants you, it's going to pull you in yeah. and something's going to work out and someone's going to find somebody. You know, that's yeah. how I ended up being able to be here, too. Of so. course, there's so much. and And it is privileged that... I have the opportunities I've had mm. and I've connected the ways I've had. So the mysticism around people who are meant to be here get pulled in and the shape of the cape and the shape of P-Town in particular right, will right. hold you or spit you out. I believe that. And then I also know it's a fool's errand to say that like that's because I'm a magic person that happens to the, right. exist within the magic continuum. Um, but as somebody who didn't have money, I 
have been able to live here for 13 years and yeah. make that happen. And so I always encourage people who are meant to be here to to stick to switching with seasonal rentals, to mm-hmm. pay a lot in the summer, pay little in the winter, to make friends with locals, right, and to work it out. That's been increasingly harder as the longer I've been here, but yeah. for me it worked. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I totally agree with what you're talking about with that balance, right? Like believing in the seal unicorns, but yeah. also understanding that this is a complex place to really step into without lots of privilege. That's yeah. definitely something that we're holding together. Mm-hmm. I would love to kind of um, shift down your journey here in Provincetown yeah. and talk a little bit more about how did you find out about women's crafts and what brought you into the fold there and what made you stay? That first winter, one of the things I did to keep myself connected is that I would walk endlessly every day and anything that was open, I went in. Yeah. And I learned pretty quickly in the winter most of the people working in shops that are open are the owners or at least like full-time people Mm -hmm. here and so I just befriended people at two of the shops that I befriended by walking in regularly one guy the store doesn't exist anymore pulp it was a card store Frank I cataloged and did his inventory for him like I just wanted something to do right you know and and as a lesbian in Boston, I had been in women crafts in mm. my life, um, but that winter, that November actually, I went in, and the day I walked in, the women that I bought the shop from, Catherine and Wendy, were there together, and they were listening to a song that was related to my like most tragic breakup. Oh, so I one walk, of those. oh my god, I walk in and my course. song on Jujuvacat, <laughs> the song is Pearls, was playing, and I was looking at self help books and picking out a Pema Chodron book, When Things Fall Apart, and oh, just wow, sta- we were having a full moment. It, Everything I, was happening. I'm standing. I know exactly in the shop where I was standing and how I was looking and the song's playing and I'm crying and they just start to be friendly with me and talk to me and and just say you can come and be here anytime you want I'm Mm. like oh that's so wonderful you're open all winter like well actually no we close at Thanksgiving I'm like oh okay but I had started (laughs) to feel a little bit of home and when I knew I was staying for the summer Catherine and Wendy were friends with an older woman in town who became my mentor and my best friend in town and they had asked her if she would work in the shop that summer and she's like hell no I'm retired I don't want to Right. and they're like well we only want to have people we trust and Bonnie's like the person you need is Michelle and um they're like we don't know her and Bonnie's like I would trust her with my kids I would tr- or my grandkids my dog and my money and they're like okay you had us That's a dog big, right um so I went in and I didn't I didn't bring anything when I moved here I moved here with two bags in my car and yeah. have since like gotten rid of everything else I left behind in Boston and traveled really lightly but so I didn't have a printer so I hand wrote a, a resume that listed these are my favorite sapphic novels and these are my favorite (laughs) women's musicians and not this is my master's degree and this is my SAT score. And I'm wondering why we don't use that resume all the time. It worked pretty good and it was handwritten and um, (laughs) I wish they kept that because that feels like it's part of the shop's archives. Yes. But I became friends with them, worked with them just a little bit and It was confusing because I was 32, I think, when I first moved here. Mm -hmm. And that's the, and somewhat the beginning of my, I had been in social work since college, so 10 years at that point felt like a long time. But 
those are the earning potential years. I mean, I know you're looking at your, I'm imagining you're looking at your life ahead. And so to choose to live in Provincetown in your 30s when the community is older and mm-hmm. money-making options or professional options within people's careers, so much has changed digitally and when people work remote. But yeah. those years, it, I couldn't imagine how I would sustain a life here right. that was more than paycheck to paycheck, yeah. um, how I would ever create something. I also very much wanted to have a baby in those days. So how would that happen? And the community around me kind of lulled me into security of being young because right. I was young in comparison. Right. So even within my friend group now, I'm still treated like the kid. And I'm like, can we please talk about menopause? Right. You know, I've lived here long <laughs> enough to have arrived. We need to change the topics now. Yeah. And so that was all really scary and working. And I looked at that as my get well job of like, mm. I'm not ready to go back to social work. I don't know what else I'm going to do with this degree professionally right. or to make money. So I'll do this for a little while. And I had a lot of shame about working in the shop, like just being a retail clerk. I'm putting air quotes there. But quickly when I was there, I realized it's a community center. That I am who I am. Wherever you go, there you are. And wherever I go, I'm a social worker. I'm a community organizer. And... And that's a profession that is, like, worthy. Right. But, you know, I had moments I had a professor from grad school come in. I had therapists who I used to work with come in looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Mm. Um, And the decision to live on the Outer Cape, I think, is choosing to no longer compare yourself to your natural peer group, your high school, college friends, whatever, people your age group and your demographics, and really, like, step outside a lot of paths that... have markers you'll have achieved this by then you'll have been married or have a house or you know and and in the 13 years I've lived here there's a lot of balancing that of like when I start to compare myself to others to recognize I'm the one who goes to the beach on Tuesday afternoons in the winter while you commute 45 minutes to a job in a brick building say that you know so but you have it's a leap and it's an for me, it was a constant exercise until it no longer is, and I'm just comfortable with it now. Right. But the shop became that for me because I respected the shop so much, mm. and I respected the community that built it. There have been three owners, but it's really three curators, three current holders of the space and right. the stories and um, and the women who inhabit it are the ones that just left now this last week from Women's Week who tell me what it was like in 1976. Mm. They were there before I was born. Yeah, You know, they came to a place that offered a dyke discount and that might have been the only time in a year they told anybody they were a lesbian. Yeah, And that might be the only place they ever f- publicly touched their partner. And that's where right. so many women bought commitment bands and wedding bands because you weren't walking into Tiffany's or K Jewelers Mm-mm. holding a woman's hand buying two sides six wedding bands yeah so the stories I've heard and the way I've been educated in my women's history and lesbian history and queer culture you know those weren't my me I didn't go to Smith I wasn't a women's studies major at Smith I was a peace and conflict resolution and psychology major at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania and this wasn't what my path was going to be but the more I'm here the more I know like that's my space. Yeah, and that it was the right thing. And I think that you're talking about something that is so poignant mm-hmm. and something that I just noticed in the last, you know, couple months that I've been here, but Women Crafts is a space where people can really feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first places in town where I really felt like pulled in. So uh-huh. thank you for creating yeah. that space, but sure. also um as someone who was a past social worker, mm-hmm. 
it is interesting to understand that like you said, wherever you are, there you are. And you're still doing some of the same work. So what do you find yourself pulling from your past in social work and in the mental health field and working at women crafts? Well, I think so much of it is about being mission driven Mm. and operating by a code of ethics. You know, the shop is a mission driven shop. And like social work, I don't in the Massachusetts code of ethics for social workers. There's so much about you know, because social workers do many different things. I really just wanted to be a therapist. But community social workers' job is to make themselves irrelevant, to make the community exist without them, to recognize right. it's their gift to like be on a journey with somebody and then peace out when they're holding themselves. Yeah. And the shop was supposed to do that. The shop exists as a protest to the mm. fact that, you know, similar to the Gorilla Girls um, going after museums in the 80s and 90s of noticing how many images of women exist in museums and how few women artists are also showed in those museums. Right. That's the statement about Commercial Street, too. And that's a statement about women in books. There are more female authors, much more by percentage, just like there's more women who go to college. All of these things, yeah. That under-earned, underrepresented in the book field, under-reviewed, yeah. less likely to have their books faced forward, all of these things. So when Women Craft started in 1976, it 76 aligns in second wave feminism with a moment of lesbian separatism, where lesbians and the lavender menace weren't feeling included in the feminist movement. You and I are both younger than that moment, mm-hmm. and I owe a lot of my life to those women. And the reason Women Crafts continues is because we've moved on and, and we're in a wave of feminism that is much more intersectional. But in a time that women, yeah. particularly lesbian, lesbians, needed to claim their own space to feel safe and to be acknowledged, the shop was that. And it was a protest. And there were a few places like that. But there was a thriving women's music scene and festival scene. And bookstores were starting to pop up. By the 1990s, there were over 200 feminist bookstores, many with lesbian identities, and now there's 14. And this is in the country that I'm talking about. So, like, this wave of women and the women who um, originally came to Women Crafts and went on to be in the world together in the 80s, you know, really knew how to find each other. I grew up in the Boston area in the 90s. You know, well, I mean, I'm born in 77, but like my coming out story is from the 90s and early 2000s. And it was a safe place to be. My family of origin that I still relate to and my community, it was an easy and open thing to do. Right. The shop is for the people that it wasn't. Mm. Um, and so I've learned so much looking backwards at that. Um so in terms of what I do as a social worker is what the shop does is that if the shop's mission was irrelevant, we wouldn't need to exist anymore. Right. And so like I'm not trying to be some martyr who's saying like I'll gladly be out of business, but <laughs> I'll gladly carry the torch and send, spread the message of like what's still not done, what's not achieved. The ERA right. is not passed yet. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. done. Feminism hasn't been achieved. Well, and just for people who might not know, can you also just give clarity on what the mission of women crafts is too sure to represent un- underrepresented people and originally that was primarily lesbians mm. um, it's definitely women so handcrafted by women was the tagline um, and that word and that language you know women crafts was never a women with a y and uh, you know so it's born at the same moment of mishfest which was women born women raised women presenting mm. 
and conflict emerged when that wasn't intersectional and that didn't take into account trans people or non-binary people. And certainly as a social worker who was worked on a transgender health team, you know, for me, the shop is only going to proceed as an intersectional space. However, the work made is made by women. I carry work made by trans and non-binary people who are comfortable knowing that that's the mission and and the place of the shop. And that seems complicated or cognitive dissonance to some people, but to me and the trans artists that I work with, it's not. We share a community and we share space. Um, So that's the big distinction. As I've owned this shop, what became clear to me, which is true about feminism in general, is that there are traps of white feminism. So having a mission of being all of our books are written by women, like we can't just stop and pat ourselves on the back about that if it's not all women. And so my mission to myself, like this is, you know, not written in the original tenets of 1976, but for myself when I bought the shop, A goal related to that in terms of accountability is when I am ordering new titles that at least 50% are written by women of color. Um, And I feel like that's an actionable thing I can do to uh, move forward and kind of right some of the wrongs and redistribute like who can see themselves. It's easy to talk about how people can see themselves represented at the shop when you're one of the people who can see themselves. So for me, like having shelves, I mean, there's a big display of women of color um, authors, but trans stuff, asexual, non-binary, anybody, when you see somebody who is so underrepresented in this world, find something for them, it's heartbreaking to realize that a pin made them happy. Right. Because that's the first place they've ever seen it. Yeah. Um, So in those ways, my social worker self, in choosing the books, you know, my, my curation is from the lens of justice and peace. And right activity, right relations. I don't mm-hmm. believe in censorship. I don't believe in banned books. But the books in the shop are bought by me. Right. So my money is not going to support people who do harm in this world. Yeah. Um, I carry right now Cassidy Hutchinson's new book, Enough, is a bestseller. And she's a Republican. She worked for Trump. She's 24. She's got a story to tell. She has a Me Too story to tell. I'll carry that book. Yeah. And I and I also won't herald her as a hero, um, and I won't take responsibility for all of her beliefs. But I'm not carrying a book about, like, I ordered a title that I thought looked like it was a book about people who are religious, who are queer, but I realized it was a conversion therapy book. Right. And so I sent it back to the publisher, and I'm like, F off, like, with this book, because they weren't going to take it back. I'm like, no, you don't get to sell me this book. Yeah, and I think that you're talking about a lot of the ways that, again, this is a community space, and we can find moments and pieces of ourselves within a town that might not be representing of everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also brings me into some of my last questions for you, which is just, you know, you've been here for, I believe, 13 years. Is that correct? Um, Which you said yourself might be a short amount of time for some people. But Mm -hmm. I think that even in that time, we've seen things change a lot. So can you talk more about what it is like to be one of the last maybe um, women focused, sapphic aligned spaces in town and what that looks like and how maybe we need to be continuing building that or kind of what you see as the next steps forward. Yeah, I um, 
I see a need for more. Mm-hmm. I see uh, what I see is that the way in which people appreciate the shop or appreciate me, I can take and I understand we do a good thing, but it's oversized and outsized because there's not more. Yeah. And so I can appreciate when I hear gratitude towards the shop, what I hear is what's lacking. Yeah. Um, and so I'm aware of it from the perspective I am a white middle-aged lesbian um, who doesn't always feel welcome in places in Provincetown. So anybody who has another difference above and beyond what I have, I understand that there's not a lot of space here. There's not a lot of space for queer, for neurodivergent, for people of color. Um, Ability, this is not a Mm -mm. disability-friendly town. Um, So much of the historic district has permission to not adapt. Right. All of that. Um, But and just from where I sit, I have watched when I moved to town, there was the women innkeepers. There were still 12 when I moved here 13 years ago. There are two that identify as there are women who own things in town, but there was an organization, the women innkeepers, and they are who produce and put on Women's Week. Women's Week just ended its 39th year. Yeah. Next year will be the 40th. It started because there were these groups of women innkeepers and they knew that women weren't affording town in the height of the season. Yeah. It's too expensive and that they had these spaces that we all who live here in the off season knows it's awesome in the off season. So women innkeepers, everybody in town who does not know this needs to take a moment and be appreciative for the extended off season. And it is directly because the women innkeepers started Women's Week. Mm. So the fact that we have a season that goes until October is thanks to them. So something that I'm pushing with and dealing with right now is the amount of places that were closed this year yeah. and the amount of women who are disappointed by what's closed. Or that prices are still so high that some people are charged summer prices when we're in the off season and when women aren't celebrated or given enough space in the height of the summer. It is not fair Mm. to charge the people who make less money than you the same that you charge for men's themed weeks in the middle of the summer. So I'm aware that in the money that has gone on in Provincetown in the time that I've lived here. This has also always been a wealthy, privileged place. Mm -hmm. I feel like Provincetown, and hopefully we're on this trajectory, still operates more as gay than queer. I, um, I embrace and push forward using the words the language of queerness over gayness because I feel like the gay and I identify as gay when I came out I came out as gay that made sense to me the gay community made sense to me it was height of AIDS epidemic Um, I use that language for myself I call myself gay I call myself lesbian I am queer all of those things make sense to me but when we're talking about power structures Mm -hmm. in this town white gay men have it and part of why they have it is money So not all gay men, but wealthy gay men um, have been able to purchase and control a lot of what's going on in Provincetown. And yay for you and celebrate for you. But in a town that so many of us have found as refuge and safety because of how we've been treated other places. And I have so I mean, my my specialty was gay men addicted to crystal meth. I am a lover of gay men and, and our shared queer stories. And if you are part of a minority group that then is in the majority in any one place, the default has become um, white men. Yeah. So, yes, you're gay, but white men with money are in charge of so much of what goes on in town. And so what I see missing is women-owned spaces. And even if they're not owned by women, women embracing spaces to say that tea dance or the night at the A house is for everyone is convenient. Thank you. Of course, everyone should be welcome. Right. But what have you done to create it 
a safety around that for women and when are women's times prioritized. In the time that I've lived here, when I first moved was the end of the Vixen when I was coming out and originally coming to Provincetown. The Vixen was a women's nightclub. Yeah. That existed. The Pied existed. The Pied is closed in the time that I've lived here. So there's not a dyke bar in Provincetown. Yeah. And I think that there is. I do want to shout out Babes and Boys for all of the incredible events that they've been creating. And I think that you're pointing out something that is, you know, a lot of us have found refuge in this town and what does it look like for us to then continue building a safe space for everyone and I think that a lot of the events that are happening at Women Crafts are an incredible community space for us to be coming together and continuing these Mm -hmm. shared conversations that have to be happening and I know there's so much still that I want to talk about but I do want to just wrap up with um, two last questions can I jump in quickly about Babes and Boys and thank Carmen and Sam for doing that is that we live on the shoulders too of the women innkeepers and Provincetown for Women and Lynette Mulmer and the people who have done the organizing before and I think Sam and Carmen are doing a good job at looking at the women who have come before them because they are not inventing a wheel. Mm-mm. They're recreating something that older women in town have been doing for a long time. 100%. So thank you for pointing that out, too. Um, I would love to see, just in a couple of words, um, as we wrap up, because we only have like one minute left, okay. but what is the magic that you think carries on today from when you first came in town? The beauty. The beauty and the people yeah. and vulnerability. It's a place where you can be yourself. It doesn't matter what your career is. If you love standing next to the ocean, come stand next to me and tell me why because I probably feel it too I love that thank you so much Michelle is there anything you want to shout out about what's happening at women crafts or just in town very quickly pay attention to women focused events for next year this week is Fantasia Fair that's awesome um Support the businesses that you want to see continue to exist. Find us online all see all winter long. Yes. Would help womencraftsptown.com is the shop's website and I depend on people supporting us even when we're not open. Huge. Thank you so much for your time today. I am so excited for us to continue having this space to talk about and thanks for popping on. I appreciate Thank you. it. Thanks, Eden. Yeah. You have been listening to Seaside Storytime, a podcast where we dive deep into the stories of people living on the Cape, the magic that keeps us here, and the dynamic nature of the tides and towns. I'm your host, Eden Allegretti, and today I was talking to the wonderful Michelle Axelson, owner of Women Crafts and P-Town resident and incredible human. (laughs) Thank you.